Welcome to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, where we bridge the gap between you and your goals with science and sustainability in your health, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle journey. I hope you share and enjoy. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lint, and I'm here with my co-host, Marissa Roy. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking all about advanced training techniques. Yeah, we thought, hmm, we haven't nerded out like this in a while or or talked about training, period, uh, in a pretty long time. And I think, I mean, it comes from a good place, right? Like we don't want to like sit here and like overwhelm you with all this stuff, but I figure if it's one particular episode and we're very clear on who it's for and who it's not for, then I think it could go over really well and our more advanced trainees would really appreciate it. So I'm excited to get into this stuff. I haven't talked about training. I haven't written that many training programs in the past two years. So yeah, this will be fun. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like you're clients are probably like, Oh, thank God. Marissa's not writing my training programs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a day and a time where that was a dreaded thing to have me do, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's timely though, because I just started getting back into a good groove with like my own training where like, I'm using some of this stuff now and it's like refreshing our last coaches meeting. We talked about some of this stuff. So it was, it's kind of just timely, I think, to get back into the the weeds, the science a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, it'll be a lot of fun. And I was going to say that too, with you, I feel like, especially since training has taken more, I don't want to say a priority for you, it but has. definitely, yeah. With signing up with a coach, like, um, and especially talking a lot on your stories and stuff about just how you are making it a priority now. And I, I think that that is really fun and I'm excited to talk through all these things. Yeah. I think that's an important like prerequisite. So like most of our episodes, like we talk about people that uh, talk to people, I guess, that are working on like really integrating this into your life in a slow, sustainable way. Like this episode is not for that person who's like, I'm getting started on my weight loss journey and I don't know what to do. Like, don't listen to this. Go listen to 150 other episodes like um, (laughs) that are more like just, and not because like you're not like capable. It's just like, it's so unnecessary at that point in the journey. Um, and it's details that will overwhelm and just be kind of not applicable at that point, because like, what do we need to do at that phase in the journey is like, you need to get in the gym and learn strength training, the basics. And then once you're doing that and you develop a love for it and the strength and the, just the wow factor with the gym and feeling strong and empowered, it's like, okay, well then and we can have fun with it. Like you're going three, four days a week or something, maybe even five, and you're just loving it. And you want to learn more and do more and push your body. This, this is the episode for you. Yeah. And so I, like you were saying, I think it's really important. It's like, okay, for those beginners, yeah, just turn it off now. But this is for someone who maybe is trying to overcome a plateau. Like you have been, you know, just kind of stalled with your weight training, Um, you might've just kind of hit a plateau. You don't really feel like you're really doing much of anything. Maybe you're not seeing an increase in strength or, uh, you know, you're not gaining any, any muscle. So it like including an advanced technique into your training program could introduce a new stimulus that your body isn't necessarily really used to. And so that kind of just 
is going to promote further adaptation uh, and growth. So especially if you're someone who's like been following the same workout program for a, a long time, not just like a month, but a long time and you've just plateaued um, incorporating some of these things, you, you might be able to see some, some really, really cool results. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify plateau in training, not yes. with weight loss. <laughs> so yeah. if you're at a weight loss plateau, go to those episodes that's nutrition oriented and adherence oriented training plateau. So yeah, exactly what you said. So yeah, we got a long list to go down. So I kind of listed this out uh, as we were kind of brain dumping what we wanted to talk about in kind of order of hierarchy of like what kind of makes the biggest impact versus the least and mm-hmm. kind of categorizing it too. So the first one is like top sets versus working sets. And this is just a really common mistake that I see with people who might be weight training regularly and maybe don't know why they haven't gotten to the next level and they're struggling to see strength gains is they may may not understand the difference between these things. And what I think most people default to is they default to top sets, meaning that let's say you have four sets of something and you spend those four sets kind of going up in weight to like, see what you can handle. So like set one is hundred pounds, set two is 110, set three is 120, set four is 130. And by the fourth set, you're like, oof, that was really tough. That was great. I love it. The problem with that is that pretty much only one of those sets was really effective was that last one. And so what we want to get into the mindset of doing, if you're not already, unless you're intentionally trying to hit a top set for something like powerlifting is you want to always be doing working sets for the goal of building muscle, um, creating that adaptation of full, let's say you have those four sets, four sets at that one thirty mark that are all really challenging and all the reps are really tough. And you're able to hold that across the four sets. Like, I feel like just describing that you can see how different that is, but I'll explain at least what like the strength and conditioning literature talks about for rep ranges. So if you Google the rep range continuum or rep maximum continuum. Um, basically it's, there's four categories, strength, power, hypertrophy, and muscular endurance. And it's like color coded. And if you look at it without knowing what the heck it's trying to tell you, you're probably like, what is happening? So the strength rep range is typically, um, it's best in the two to six rep range. The power rep range is typically the best in the five or under hypertrophy is anywhere between six and 12 and muscular endurance is anything above basically 12. And so it's kind of a color coded thing that shows that it's not black and white. It's not like, as soon as you cross over into 13 reps, your muscles go into muscular endurance mode. Like, no, (laughs) like you can achieve hypertrophy at any rep range, but you're going to achieve the most between six and 12. You can achieve muscular endurance at any rep range, but you're definitely going to achieve the most with high rep ranges, strength and power. You think about it. You want to get as strong as possible. You need to lift the heaviest loads possible. You're not going to be able to do that many reps. So strength is built in those lower rep ranges and power, which is strength at high speeds is built at even lower rep ranges because that's even more taxing. So it kind of just shows that. And so I typically kind of equate rep ranges more as like, if you're looking for hypertrophy, AKA muscle building and creating body recomposition, like you want to be generally in the like six to 20 
rep range, like anything from six to 20, um, which is where I think your coach took that like five to 10, 11 to 15. He's kind of going like a little bit more strength focus, a little bit more um, hypertrophy focus with those two categories. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's just important. Like when we talk about certain techniques or anything like that to define them, to have them make a little bit more sense in the context that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the rep range though, cause what you said before we started recording was like, a lot of people are just like, well, I've looked on Instagram and said, do four sets of 10. So you're just doing four sets of 10 for everything forever. Um, but like one thing that's really powerful is you can utilize rep ranges to break plateaus. So one great example of this is, um, I, I guess I'll use like a example for an exercise I put a lot of work into. So bench press, like bench press, typically I'll plateau somewhere around like one rep max is like 135 ish. Um, but if I want to increase that, I don't necessarily just do one rep at 135 over and over and over again. Right. What I do instead is I build up tolerance to heavier loads at different rep ranges to give my body exposure to different things. So I might do really high reps, like 15s at a very low weight, just to build tolerance to like a lot of fatigue. And then another day I might do sets of three sets of four to tolerate heavier loads and teach my body like, Hey, you're going to be pushing something kind of heavy, but you need to do it more times than you would with your max. So like, let's, let's get in the, in the gear for that. And then when you build up enough tolerance to all of that, then typically your max load that you can move around goes up because you're, you have more muscle and that muscle is stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And for that example too, it's also like, okay, well, yeah, the focus is, you know, flat bench, but then you could also do like an incline press. Like you can do a bunch of other things to support that movement. And I think it's in like, when we talk about specifically progressing with one single exercise, usually a lot of that has to do with just kind of like increasing the, the volume. So like, um, an example that I think is so funny is this, I can't remember. Um, I think I read it in a book, but, or heard it on Instagram something, but this older gentleman was at the gym and he was doing, he's probably like in his seventies and he was doing one-handed pushups and this younger guy was pretty strong, saw that. And he's like, I can do that. And he tried and just like fell on his face. And so he went up to the guy and he was like, how are you doing this? He's like, I specifically train like one arm pushups all the time. So he's like, it's not a matter of strength. It's just, I just do it a lot. And mm -hmm. so that was how I was able to do my first pull-up. It was like, I did so many different variations of like pull downs, all the different things that we're going to talk about, like <laughs> in these like advanced uh, training techniques, but it was just so much volume to finally be able to pull my body weight up, which is something I was never able to do. Yeah. Well, and here's the key to it. Like simplest way to put this, if you are at a strength plateau, you either don't have enough muscle overall to actually do that movement at the load that you want, like a pull-up, that's your body weight. So you don't have enough muscle to pull your body weight up, or you might have the amount of muscle, but that muscle has not been trained to be strong enough. And so those are actually two different mechanisms. So the amount of muscle is just the like volume, the mass of the muscle on your body. Like that's like big bodybuilders. You can see they're huge, right? They have a lot of muscle. 
the strength of the muscle. This is why you might look at a power lifter and be like, you don't look like you have all this muscle. It's because they are just the amount of muscle they have, they're maximizing the strength within it. And that's the force output of that muscle. So you can train both, which is why those rep ranges make a difference. So if you're at a plateau, you have to think like, have I been doing hypertrophy muscle building and expansion type training my whole life? Maybe that's why I can't get past this threshold of this weight. Maybe I should try a strength phase to maximize the strength of those muscle fibers and then resensitize them to muscle growth and, and growing them with higher loads because now I'm stronger. Um, so that's a really good way to look at it is it's usually one or the other, and then you involve, you can involve skill with things like push-ups, pull-ups, calisthenics, um, power movements, like Olympic lifting. But, um, generally it's one of those two things. If you're just stuck at a plateau with a weight. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess that kind of like in a way explains the auto-regulated double progression model. So essentially this is just a way to track progress with lifting that I recommend you do if you do not do this. <laughs> and essentially it's just, you have a rep range. Let's say it's Christina's 11 to 15 and you use a weight until you are able to max out that rep range of like four sets of all 15s instead of four sets of 11s. Like that shows progress, right? Cause you just did three more reps per set. That's a lot of a difference. Once you max that out, then you move on to the next weight and you start at the bottom and you go up from there. And so that's training, you know, within your rep range, the hypertrophy, it's also training the strength at newer loads each time. So, um, that's something you can repeat indefinitely and usually be able to make pretty good progress with. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. <laughs> yeah. And like something before, and like, when I just started off with training, I was like, uh, like, I don't know, just like, I, I, I needed, I felt like I needed to change up my workouts like pretty frequently. And now like really, really following this method. It's so much, even to get like one additional rep, you're like, yeah. heck yeah. <laughs> like I'm strong as fuck. <laughs> That's what I was going to say too. It's like at a certain point you do this for long enough. You're like, your progression is really fucking slow. It's just oh like, my God, it's awful. <laughs> you know, I went from four sets of 10 at 95 pounds to like three sets of 10 and one set of 11. Woohoo. Like it doesn't sound exciting, but it is because if you're consistently like tracking it, looking at it and being like, I'm going to beat this, like, it's really cool to see when that happens. So it, it if you're newer, it's going to take a while for you to get to that place. But like, that's where, when I really take it seriously, that's where I'm at. Like, I'm constantly just like, well, one more rep, five more pounds. Uh, but that's where it's like, you really find your limits too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, and one of the things we were talking about in office hours with our clients the other day, was being comfortable enough in the gym to ask for a spot. And I was saying, I was like, man, at this point, I was like, I do not care. <laughs> I was like, if my coach like has me wanting to increase like my rep range or something and I need a spot, I was like, I like, I'm, I'm going to ask, I don't care. <laughs> um, so I think that that that's actually something that we'll talk about a little bit later as far as uh, different types of training, especially training with a spotter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that just kind of lends itself to if you're training and you need somebody to kind of make sure you don't dump the weight on your own chest or face or hurt yourself, it usually means you're training at a high 
rate of perceived exertion, RPE, or you don't have a lot of reps left in the tank. And so you're going to hear these terms RPE and RIR thrown around a lot in the evidence-based health and fitness space. Um, and you're probably like, WTF does that mean? So <laughs> RPE was used a lot in endurance training. So just like scale of one to 10, how hard are you working? That's essentially all it is. And the different numbers with endurance could indicate kind of what zone cardio you're in, but then it was translated to uh, weight training, resistance training. And uh, basically it's kind of the same idea. One to 10, how hard are you working? And like the 10 out of 10 is like, your arms are trembling. You're not, you're like barely locking the rep out. Like you, your arms might collapse from under you. Your legs might collapse from under you. Like you need a spotter. Like you are going to absolute failure. And then you scale back from there, nine, eight, seven, et cetera. Generally we want to aim for a higher RPE, like seven, eight, nine, um, a lot of the time. And most people don't actually get there. There's actually been a lot of research to show that most people, especially women think they're at an RPE eight, nine. And then when you really test them to failure, they were at like a four just because yeah. it feels hard. And that's, okay. I mean, you can't beat yourself up for it. You don't know, but like, you're just capable of so much more than you think if you really put yourself to the test. Yeah. And I had a client of mine actually the other day, she said that she came across something on Instagram and for whatever reason it, she's just like, Oh, wow. And it just changed her whole way of thinking about training. Cause she was like, I always thought it was physical. And then I heard someone say something about how, like, you're just so much stronger than you think you are. And she was like, and all of a sudden that just opened up the doors and I'm just training so much harder. And she's like all from a mental switch. And I always thought it was physical. So I thought that that was really, really cool to be like, ah, oh, the flip has switched. Like you're going to have more fun with training now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like that's, that is an advanced training technique in and of itself to not be limited by what you think your body can handle. Um, just because something feels heavy doesn't mean that it's too heavy for you. Right. It's like just really breaking that down and realizing like, what is your body capable of? Like that is wild to find out. Like if you ever told me back in my cardio days, when like I was kind of new to this, like just kind of dabbling with the weights. If you told me that I would do a Bulgarian split squat with two 50 pound dumbbells, like for reps, yeah, I, you, I would have been like, you're insane. No, only like big jacked bodybuilders do that. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and there I was like maybe a year or two years ago, just doing that every other week. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with pull-ups. Like, oh, you're going to be able to do 10 in a row. I'd be like, what? Yeah. I can only do the flexed arm hang. <laughs> yeah. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually um, good at that. I just couldn't do a pull-up, but <laughs> no, I wasn't, I was horrible. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of like little, little techniques we can go into just kind of run through the list. Um, the first kind of category master category is like different things we can do that increase the amount of volume. So meaning like sets, reps, like how much you're getting in, uh, in the gym with less time. And the purpose of this is not only just like time efficiency. These are great strategies for time efficiency, but there's a psychological aspect of like, they feel harder because you're cramming things into a shorter period of time. So if you like to feel like you're suffering, this is great for you. Uh, but they also do generate more muscular damage. 
uh, metabolic waste, which can create that pump feeling. So these are great for if you are needing to generate a good pump um, and just feel like you're getting a great workout and those muscles are just puffed up. They're, you know, just really fatigued. And um, yeah, so there's, there's multiple reasons you'd use it. It's not just like, oh, I need to be in and out of the gym in less time. And in fact, sometimes it's not the best situation for someone who doesn't like doesn't love training. Like I, I just wouldn't give this to someone who's like, I don't really like the way it hurts my muscles. Like I'm not going to give this stuff to them, but to you psychos <laughs> out there, this is for you. Yes. Cause this does hurt, <laughs> but I feel like it could be like, if you have not used any of these techniques before, I think what it also does is it kind of teaches you how to push beyond your limits of what you think you're able to do. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's like finding your threshold for pain and then pushing past that. So yeah. it's like a lot of people start to, you know, stop when, Oh, it, my, my muscles are burning. And it's like, no, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the first one is a little bit more of an efficiency thing, but can also be challenging in this way, which would be straight versus supersets. So straight sets is like do a set rest do a set, rest, do a set, rest. Supersets are like, if I were to take bicep curls, tricep pushdowns and do them back to back and then rest and then do them back to back and then rest. And so like my whole arm is going to be like, what are you doing the whole time uh, while I'm in that superset? And so you can do this with antagonistic. So two different opposing muscle groups or I don't know the other word is synergistic, um, similar muscle groups, same, same yeah. muscle group. Yeah. Like you could just do bicep bicep and that that'll suck. Like that's just, that's just double the work in on the same muscle. Um, typically I like to go with the antagonistic for efficiency's sake, but, um, you know, if there's a purpose to do them together back to back, you can do that too. Um, but that's a great way to save time. Um, get bang for your buck and also just get like blood flow in the area that you want. Like if I wanted, my legs to just blow up. I could do leg extensions and leg curls back to back and I'd just be wobbling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the examples that I was thinking of, and I've seen people do this at the gym and I'm like, Oh man, that sucks. Is like, you know, you were talking about bench press. So it's like, you know, doing bench press and then immediately hopping off and doing like push-ups on the floor. Like that sounds awful, <laughs> especially yeah. if you're training, training really hard. Yeah. And the thing about that, like same group muscle group supersets, I think a lot of times people do them, but don't realize it's actually very unproductive, like leg press and then squat jumps. Like, don't do that. Like, that's not, that's not effective. That's not advanced training. That's just trying to burn a lot of calories. Um, a lot of this stuff has a very intense purpose behind it, intentional purpose behind it. Um, versus just feeling like you're working hard. That's a part of it, but there's, there's specific benefits to each. So like, for example, next one, German volume training. Uh, this is 10 sets of 10 with 60 seconds of rest in between on one exercise. And it absolutely sucks. But the purpose is that you can get a lot of volume in at, on like a compound movement. Like I would do this like back in the day with squats or leg press and you could basically get a whole workout in, in like however long that takes, which is not long. Um, but it just, it kills and it really challenges you to 
find a weight like the goal is to keep the weight the same the whole time like really like hold it steady which is really difficult because you can start with 10 10 reps on set one and be like oh this is too easy and by set seven you're like holy f right so um i don't know if there's much of a real purpose behind that one other than suffering but the other ones have more of a purpose Hey, hey, if you're not driving and you're liking this episode, just take two seconds and support our show by giving it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. These ratings and reviews just allow us to bring more knowledgeable and influential people onto this show for you to learn everything possible about science and sustainability with respect to your goals. And if you like this episode, just screenshot it and tag us on Instagram to show your support. One share really could be the catalyst for someone in your life to transform their body, their health, and their fitness for good. And of course, it helps our show grow too, and we appreciate that. All right, back to the show. Um, okay, the one after that is blood flow restriction training. So we actually have a whole episode on this with Nick Licamelli, which is an awesome episode. Uh, but this is a basically a strategy that can really generate a lot of muscle fatigue And there's a couple different like rep schemes you can go with, but essentially the idea is like you're doing three or four sets of an exercise with like basically maybe 15, 30 seconds of rest in between and doing really high reps with a really light load. So like if I would normally do a 300 pound hip thrust, if I'm going to do blood flow restriction hip thrust, I'm going to use like 95 pounds. I'm going to use like maybe a hundred, maybe a third, like 25, 30% of the weight that I could normally do. And you're basically cutting off some of the blood flow, like maybe 80% of the blood flow to the area, uh, with like straps or wraps. Um, they make specific wraps for this. So you can put on your shoulder joint or your hips and, um, it, it absolutely blows you up, but it's something that's actually really popular to be used in like physical therapy for rehabilitation reasons. Um, because it's a great way to kind of like, just get isolation in without high loads that make you at risk to injury. Right. Cause if I were to just do a shit ton of volume with like 300 pounds, chances I get injured are a lot higher than if I'm using a load that's like kind of child's play weight. Um, but doing it under that blood flow restriction basically just makes it harder because your body can't, your muscles can't get the blood flow they need to recover within the set. So then it's just like really taxing And if you like the burn feeling, BFR is like one of the best things to just get that and just really, really suffer in that. But um, it can also be a great alternative for like when you don't have access to load, travel, COVID, everything shut down and you had 10 pound weights at home. Like, what do you do? This was a great add-in for that. Um, And I used it a lot in the few weeks that I was stuck just in my apartment Um, and yeah, it could be really, really helpful for like, just kind of the convenience factor, like the bands you could take anywhere. You could just do body weight stuff, blood flow restriction. It can generate a lot of fatigue really fast. Did you find it? I found it. Yeah. So I misspoke. He called it blood volume. Yes. I remember that blood volume and max overload program. I remember you told me that. He said, blood volume workouts, the goal of blood volume training is to force as much blood into the muscle. This is done by high reps, supersets, and constant tension on the muscle. This type of training will inoculate the blood in the muscle, which will first hit slow twitch muscle fibers. But as oxygen in the area becomes sparse, the fast twitch muscle fibers will have to be activated. This training will also cause 
Anabolic hormones to flood the area, increasing time under tension is the primary goal during these workouts. So blood volume workouts, uh, the rep should be performed very slowly. It should take you a full three seconds to lift the weight and a full three seconds to lower the weight at this contracted position. You should also squeeze the muscles very hard. This is very important. You should rest no longer than 10 seconds between exercises within a superset and then rest one to one and a half minutes between the supersets, but no more. If you're unable to perform the prescribed number of reps and you must lower the weight, this type of training should be extremely painful. And if it's not, you should increase the weight or slow down the reps. Yeah. So basically that's like constant tension, tempo, and like just high volume all together in one. Yeah. It sucked, but it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Same I feel like, I wonder how much of this people just like created to like see how much pain they could cause. And then eventually like decided to put evidence behind it with research. <laughs> yeah, like someone, like, of- someone like you training. <laughs> Oh my God. Cause like, I mean, a lot of this stuff is evidence-backed. Like I won't say German volume is blood flow restriction training is evidence-backed in the physical therapy realm. Like there's also research on drop sets, rest pauses, ten- like time under tension, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm almost like, <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like people wanting to just punish themselves or like people who wanted more effective training in the research lab. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's funny, but, uh, so that's another one then blood volume training. Um, so then we have drop sets and rest pauses, which, uh, actually we, we just had our last coaches meeting on this, but, uh, I learned something at that meeting, which was drop sets and rest pauses seem very similar in ways in terms of how they're categorized, but actually have distinct differences. So a drop set is I do a set at my maximal load, maximal reps, go to failure, cut the weight by like 30 something percent and do as many reps as I can again. And sometimes you do that multiple times in a row. And the idea here is you're going past failure because you went to failure with your set and then you added more and that can generate a lot of fatigue and also teach your body like, Hey, you can do something past failure. Huh? My tolerance for this might be higher. A rest pause. Similarly, is you do that max set, then you take a little rest pause, 15 seconds or so. And then you basically do as many reps as you can again with the same weight. And then basically you can either have a rep target. So I might say 30 reps, do the first set of 15, and then however many mini sets it takes you to get to 30, or you can say, I want you to do like three sets of to failure, like main set and then rest, pause, set, rest, pause, set, rest, pause, set. So there's two different ways you can go about it. Depending on how much control you want as the coach versus the client, you can kind of progress someone differently that way. But essentially the difference though, that I was able to parse out was drop sets are a little bit more centered on fatigue because you're just like pushing past failure, no matter the load. But the rest pause, you don't change the load. So it can actually really help with tolerating higher um, reps of higher loads. So if I really wanted to increase my bench press or how many reps I could do with my top bench press, I would do some kind of a rest pause situation because then it's like, I have to use that weight until I get the reps or do the sets. Um, So I'm just training my body like, hey, you're still going to lift this weight 
you're not going down. And that's kind of the, the interesting purpose that I saw behind it. Yeah. And then that makes me think of cluster sets. Where it's yeah. like, it's very, very similar, but it's like breaking a set into a mini set with short rest periods. So for example, if you're doing eight reps continuously, you do four sets, rest for 10 seconds, do another two to three rest. And then you like, you finish the set. And like my coach has me do this too. And it is like the first time I saw these, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Um, so he has me do this with like, um, lateral raises. And so it'll be a cluster set, uh, eight to 10, and then you have to do five reps for as many as possible with 15 in between. So you're, I feel like it it looks silly at the gym because most people are just lifting kind of in that traditional, like do a set and then rest. So like, see someone like doing like you know, lateral raises. And then you're like resting and I'm like sitting there counting down and I'm like, no, because it still <laughs> burns. And then, you know, you're only getting like three or four. And then like the next, you know, by the fifth, you know, little cluster set, you can only do like one or something. You just look so pathetic, it, like, oh. I know. Yeah. You're like, oh, one. <laughs> okay. Done. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's really tough, but it's, again, it's fun in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I know we, this is kind of similar, but timed sets. So like, instead of having a number of reps, like this is something, for example, you'd be really familiar with, with like a plank and hold it for 60 seconds, but no one thinks to do that with a leg press, do as many as you can for 60 seconds. Like, ah, sounds horrible, but you can do timed sets rather than reps and to progress it, you could just increase the amount of time that you're doing reps for. And you ultimately just have to keep going. (laughs) So that could be a great way to build volume, tolerance to volume, time under tension. Sounds miserable. I haven't actually ever had that in a program, but I know you said you did. Yeah. He has me do this with lat raise machines. So he says for the first set, you do between 15 and 20. And then your next one is 60 seconds of continual tension. And then your next set, you go heavier and you go for 30 seconds. And so, yeah, like the other thing that you can do too, is instead of just increasing the time, you could try to see how many additional reps you can get within that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's why that, that one specifically is advanced because you don't Mm -hmm. just give that to a beginner because then they're going to rush reps and like have their form break down, like kind of throwing weight around. That's not what you want, right? It's controlled reps and just like keeping a steady tempo, but can you squeeze out more? Can you go a little bit faster? Can you have the same quality, but get more reps in or whatnot? So yeah. Yep. Yep. Then Um, pre-exhaust. Yeah. I've kind of like heard differing opinions on this one in terms of whether or not it's actually helpful or useful. Um, But the idea behind a pre-exhaust would be like, if I want to hit my my quads more, I would go do leg extensions first, and then I would go do squats after. And the idea is like, your quads are more taxed. So in order to keep the form the way that you want, they're going to have to work even harder under more fatigue to, you know, have the same output but the kind of differing opinions that I heard was just from reputable sources like people in research and people who would kind of debate about this stuff for fun um but like um for example like 
it could just make you have a higher propensity for injury. Like, or it could, your body could go into a compensation of like other muscles turn on to compensate for that now weakened fatigued muscle. So you might not actually be getting more bang for your buck out of your quads. You might just be more fatigued in an area that breaks your form down and makes you higher, more likely to have an injury. Like there's kind of like differing schools of thought there. And I think a lot of that falls under, can you really control your form? Are you that advanced in order to do so? Um, if a pre-exhaust can be effective or just exercise selection, right? Like maybe don't do it with a barbell squat, do it with a leg extension and a leg press or something. Um, but that's the idea. I I've heard that for the, the basically working the other muscle. So like for the example that you use, well, okay, I'm going to pre-exhaust my quads because maybe I'm quad dominant. So when I'm doing the squat, my hamstrings and my glutes take over. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think it, I mean, it really depends like, okay, well, are we going to try to lift our one rep max after pre-exhausting our quads? Like maybe don't do that. Like, especially if like, that's our, um, if that's what we're trying to do, but it's like, okay, well then maybe I lower the weight a little bit and I have like a higher rep range, like, and I'm more focused on like that mind muscle connection more so than like how much I'm actually lifting. Cause like you said, I think that could lead to injury or kind of like weird, uh, movement patterns. Yeah, definitely. And I think that then it's like, are we really calling it a pre-exhaust or is it like an activation movement? You know, Mm -hmm. like there's kind of a difference. Like if you're doing something as an activation movement, like I might do some glute bridges before I go do hip thrusts. It's like, well, that didn't exhaust it, but it's like, that's how I woke it up. That's how I got it ready to go. So it could be active in that movement. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's the extent to which you, you go for it because a pre-exhaust would be, you know, you're fatiguing that muscle. Um, and then the question is just, is that effective? And, um, it will feel effective for sure, no matter if it is or not, but, um, that one, I think the debate is still up in the air. I'm not super up to date on the research though. So I could be wrong. Yeah. I've heard varying degrees with that one. So I can't say whether or not one's right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But then we have constant tension, which we kind of already talked about, but essentially the idea is you are under the load for a longer period of time. So, you know, I could do 10 reps really fast or I could do them really slow and I'm actually going to get a different effect. Like at all other variables, same, I will get a different effect by making that one change. So I think this kind of speaks to like just control over the weight. Like if you are kind of bouncing a chest press, for example, or a bench press, like you're not getting the same effect as if you're like really controlling it down and up and slowing down. Um, and then if you do that intentionally, it's just going to build the tolerance you have to that load, um, and make that load feel easier when you're just doing regular tempoed reps. So I think that one goes along with tempo really well. Yeah. Or like an example, it would be like, okay, constant tension for like squats. So like when you come out of the hole and you're up at the top, instead of like, you'll see a lot of people kind of pause, catch their breath and then go back down. So it's it's like, no, we don't do that. There's no rest at the top. Like we're continuously keeping that tension on the muscles. So again, you might have to drop the weight a little bit because the style that you're training in is a little bit different. So yeah, like the other thing that you see too, is something like, um, 
bicep curls or like lat raises when you see people kind of like bouncing their knees or they're kind of like yeah. they're using they're kind of using their momentum for the movement rather than yeah dropping the ego dropping your weight a little bit um and controlling the the weight the entire time keeping tension rather than like getting to the top and then just ooh, dropping it's like no we're keeping that constant tension and it's hard it's really hard yeah it definitely makes it harder I think it's like two actual opposites here is constant tension forces you to reduce the weight and forces you to control it more and then there's forced reps which basically forces you to like either you're using a rep that's too heavy for you and you're literally getting help like pushing out extra reps or it's a weight you can do but once you fail you get more assistance pushing out more reps and that might mean on a lateral raise, you're bouncing with your knees to force mm -hmm. it. It might mean yes. some spotter is actually helping you pull something up. Um, this is a technique that you really want to be careful what exercise you do and make sure it's probably like an isolation movement that you're not going to injure yourself on or drop a weight on your face on. But, um, but basically that th those are kind of two polar opposites. <laughs> like forced reps are literally forcing your body past failure to feel like, what does it feel like to do something that I cannot physically do all on my own? Um, just, yeah. And, and the literature, the researchers that I know have talked about this, the opinions are mixed on this because the amount of muscular damage that creates is almost so hard to recover from that it's not productive uh, at times. So it's kind of a once in a, blue moon sort of thing that I feel like is useful versus every single training session constantly going past failure is probably not actually going to help you progress faster. It could actually just make it harder for you to recover and train as hard as you want. Yeah. And I'm thinking about something too, like, um, so some, I feel like it's easier to do something like this on like a leg press or like on a machine where it's like you're that that uh, risk of injury is a little bit lower, but you have someone there helping kind of like push the platform for you. Yeah. Um, but this is really popular in Brazil. Um, yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons behind it is because it does look so extreme and you have these trainers like doing these crazy, you see the, like mostly women, their like legs are shaking, they're crying, like scream, but it's like, that gets a lot of views. It gets it does. a lot of, it's very I think popular. it's a lot. Yeah. It gets a lot of clicks and I, the comment sections just pop off. But like, if you, tr if you try to train like that every single session, like I, I couldn't imagine the recovery like period and what that process looks like afterwards. Like, I feel like if I trained like that, like I wouldn't be able to hit legs for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. um, so then it's kind of like, well, what was, what is the benefit, right? Like we're actually we could possibly, yeah, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> well, and if you think about it, it's like, if you train like that, but you need to take one to two weeks off from the gym, like, did you actually benefit from that training session? Yeah. you have to take that much time off and like the volume that you miss from the additional training sessions is probably not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we're running up on time here. So, I mean, I feel like we covered a lot. So if you guys like this episode, we have more things to talk about. We have more on our list. 
So definitely just give us some feedback, send us a message on Instagram or an email to let us know that you actually really appreciated this episode. Um, And we can definitely make a part two with what we have on our list that has been untouched and probably more, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Kind of nerding out a little bit and taking a blast into the past (laughs) or old pilot (laughs) training, but Um, but yeah, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Christy Lynn fit and Marissa at Marissa Roy fitness. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.